But we're going to continue our series descending on Daniel. And we will look at Daniel chapter 3. When you hear the word worship, what do you think of? What do you think of? Our minds and our experience often gravitate towards singing and raising our hands and to, in honor of our Lord Jesus. Although I would call that worship, and I think you would too, it's hardly exclusive to what worship is. That's not exclusively what worship is. In English, the word worship comes from two English words from the past, and worth and ship. Worth speaks of value and deserving. Ship means something like shape or quality. And so like sportsmanship, for example, is the quality of being a good sport. And so worship is the quality of giving worth, right? And when we worship, we are declaring that God has worth and he is worthy. So that, that's it. Now, what are some of the greatest examples that you can think of from the Bible of when people have worshipped. I've got some. I've got five of them. I've got five. The first one is when Daniel dances before the Lord. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, yeah, Dan, uh, sorry, David dances before the Lord, and and he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem with sacrifices and music and gifts for everybody. Everybody gets a gift that is there. And, and, and it, it's, there, there's a great celebration. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And so David and all his house, all the house of Israel, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the trumpet. The Bible describes David as leaping and whirling. That's my first example of worship. Second example of worship is Paul and Silas when they go to Philippi and they're thrown into prison. And about midnight, they're singing praises. And they're praying and they're praising God and they're lifting up their voices and all the prisoners are listening to them. They're worshiping. They're worshiping the Lord. And it's really interesting because they, I mean, this is praise coming from two men that were beaten and bruised and chained to the wall. You would have to believe that this was pure and heartfelt worship. I mean, they were praising God. They were in worship. God started tapping his foot, and then, and then the earth started to shake, and they were loose. Yeah. The unnamed woman with the alabaster flask of fragrant oil, Luke chapter 7. Some of the greatest worship can come from the most unlikely sources. This woman was an outcast who had been used and abused but something about the words and actions of Jesus caught her attention and she brought her most valuable possession and poured it out in an expression of love and worship. In one moment, she pressed through the fear and the prejudice and the shame and created one of the most intimate moments of worship in the Bible. Then number four is the widow's might. Mark chapter 12, this simple act of giving an offering in the temple caught the attention of Jesus. It wasn't how much she gave, but how much it cost her personally that moved Jesus to say she gave more than anybody else. What moved this woman to give everything she had remains a mystery, but what is clear is that God considers our giving an act of worship. 
And number five, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac. That is really something. Genesis chapter 22, a beautiful act of worship. There was no instruments. There was no seeing, no lighting, no sound systems involved. Abraham simply obeyed God. He went on to change the world. Obedience is something we usually only mention to small children or when we're trying to train the pet, take them to obedient school. However, obedience in the eyes of God is even greater than any sacrifice or gift that we could give him. Now put these five examples of worship together and I think we get a pretty good, pretty good picture of what worship is all about. David shows that worship involves unrestrained and unashamed devotion, maybe showing some emotion too. Hallelujah! Paul and Silas show that our worship cannot and should not be imprisoned by our circumstances. I like, Andrew, what you said about even sometimes when you don't feel like you pray and you praise God, right? The unnamed woman pouring out expensive perfume didn't care who was looking and who was judging her. Her tears showed a repentant heart. So worship involves knowing our sinfulness and repentance, and in repentance, accepting his forgiveness. Repentance is part of worship. The widow's gift was everything she had. Worship involves sacrificial giving. Abraham shows us that worship isn't just an hour on Sunday morning, but involves obedience to God's word after the service is over. So we're going to look at three things in chapter 3 of Daniel, and that is the attack, the choice, and the result. Now this is a familiar story. We're going to look at the first verse in verses 4 to 7 just to start off. And we'll figure out what's going on here as far as the attack. And, and, and this message, if you haven't figured it out, this message is centered on, on worship. Okay, We're looking at worship ex exclusively. What does it mean for us today? And so the attack, the, worship is under attack. It is. The worship of God Almighty, our Jesus, our Savior, worship is under attack. And uh, we'll see here how it was under attack in, in Daniel's day. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then skipping to verse 4. And then the herald cried aloud. To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, or lyre, <laughs> and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, so at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, on the plains of Dura today, this is modern-day Iraq, there stands today, and I believe... Um, 
it, it's a mound. It's a, it's a square. It's 20 feet high, an exact square of about 46 feet at the base. Now, um, it's very possible that this could be the pedestal of the humongous statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's very possible. And so, you, so on this plane, you could see for miles. People could see. And so you could imagine just a great group had, that they would have had caused to come and worship this great statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built. Now, why would Nebuchadnezzar make such a, an image 15 years before he proclaimed that Daniel's God was the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets? Did pride get the best of him? Because you know that he had this dream in chapter 2. He had the dream that, that he, he couldn't remember what the dream was, and he asked his wise men to tell him the dream and then ter interpret it. It was an impossible situation for the wise men, right? And it was Daniel that was able to do it. And, and so, but he proclaimed I mean, so why did he make the statue? Could it be that he was thinking that because of the language that Daniel used, this is how Daniel, when he addressed the king after he had got the interpretation and came to the king, and this is, what, this is how Daniel put it, You, O king, are the king of kings, for God in heaven has given you a kingdom, power and strength and glory. You are the head of gold. And so... Now, 15 years later, this has never left him. He's been thinking about this and thinking about this and thinking about this. I, I, I am great. I, I am a, a great king. Uh, why don't I make an image? Why don't I make an image of myself and people can come and worship? Why don't we bring all the religions together and just make one religion and, and people, everybody can just worship my image? And so pride, I think, got the best of him. I mean, we, do we have problems with pride? I think we might. You don't have to go too far on Facebook or Instagram when someone continually changes their profile picture for their latest selfie. You know, there's a there's a pride issue, right? I, I mean, and it's um, I'm not against changing your image once in a while because after all, I, I mean, I went to the newspaper and said, you know what, you need a new picture of me because I've grown this. And, and people need, we need to be up to date. And so they took a picture, <laughs> took a new picture of me with my, the hair on my face. And see, I, I actually, I moved it from the top down to my, down to my face. I, I want you to notice the language used to describe the statue. Do you see the, the, the prominence of the number six? Do you see the prominence of the number six? It's 60 by six. And that would be about 90 feet high by 9 feet wide. That is a tall, tall statue. Back home on the farm where I grew up, we had a, an 80-foot tower with an with a antenna on top of that. And I would stand right on the top of that. I would climb up that tower and, and take pictures. Beautiful view from up there. But, I, but that's, I wasn't as high as the statue was. So the statue would have been a little bit taller than that. That's huge. That's humongous. That's unbelievable. It would have been seen for miles. Quite a skinny image resembling maybe a totem pole. But why sixes? The Babylonian system of mathematic 
mathematics is based on sixes. The Greek and the Roman system is based on tens. Mathematically, this they were basing this on their mathematics. And, and do you know that that's relevant today? How many minutes in an hour? 60. So we still have the Babylonian, we still have some of the Babylonian sixes still with us. How many degrees in a circle? 360. How many degrees in the corner of a triangle? Also, six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day and is generally accepted that six is the number of man. Here's the significance of what I'm talking about. Babylon was the first Gentile kingdom represented on the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the head of gold. What did Nebuchadnezzar do with this information? Well, again, I think he it kind of went to his head and, and he set up an image based on the number six, which is the number of men, and forced peoples from all nations and languages and, and, and uh, to fall down and worship. This is an attempt to create a kind of a, like a one world government because Babylon's kingdom was the known world. That's, that was the first Gentile world government. And here's the big reveal. This is interesting. You don't want to miss this. The last Gentile kingdom, represented by iron and clay mixture of the feet, on that image, right? The last one, and, and Revelation talks about Babylon. It's still here. It's still here. The first kingdom, Babylon, and, and the last kingdom, the Roman and, and, and the clay and the iron mixture, the revived Roman Empire, this image that Nebuchadnezzar had had. Remember, remember that between the, the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay, there's a parenthesis of 2,000 years, which is the church age. But Daniel's, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's dream didn't take that, it didn't even mention that. It's like that, it just skipped over that. It's a parenthesis. It's a timeout. The church age is a timeout, but the, but we are coming very quickly to Daniel's 70th week, which is the times of the Gentiles, which is the end of the statute. And what happens at the end is that rock that is cut out of the mountain without, without hands comes and destroys that image completely, and the Gentile kingdoms are gone, and God sets up his kingdom through Jesus Christ. That is coming, and it's coming quickly. But here's, um, here's the point. I want to read a little bit of Revelation chapter 13. And I've got an image uh, because um, the, this, if you look on the screen, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. This is from chapter 13 of Revelation. With ten horns and seven heads. Now, ten horns uh, corresponds with the ten toes on the feet of iron and clay. All right, and with ten diadems and its ten horns and blasphemous names on its heads, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. You know this image? It's set up. The United Nations has that outside their their property in New York City. That's a fairly new statue. Doesn't that sound like the beast that is coming out? Of, uh, out of the sea. 
This is all coming to fruitation. This is all coming to pass as we live in our day. We should pay attention. We need to pay attention. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Who's the dragon? Satan is the dragon. Okay. One on, on its head seemed to have a mortal wound, but its wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of that beast, and so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Boy, does that sound familiar. You compare this and Daniel chapter 3, and you're going, oh my goodness. History is repeating itself, right? Also, it causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the number of the beast, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Remember I said the number six was man's number? And the number, his number is 666. And so here we have at the beginning of the, this, the, the, the times of the Gentiles, we have the number six is prominent. At the end, the toes and the clay, uh, the, the iron and clay mixed. Again, we have that same prominent number six. Of course, Satan is the dragon. The first beast coming out of the sea is the revived Roman Empire, known also as the Antichrist. Now, the second beast coming out of the earth, it is thought um, that this one comes out of Israel. And so, uh, and it is referenced as the false prophet. Now, notice that there's this unholy trinity. The, we have uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the dragon, which is Satan. That's an unholy trinity that has come together. And, and notice also that the, this, uh, the, this Antichrist has a wound, a fatal wound, that he is miraculously healed from. It's like he is resurrected. He should be dead, but he's not. He comes alive. Boy, that's, doesn't that sound like Jesus' resurrection? That, that even in this unholy trinity is mimicking and copying God's trinity. To the, 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 it, Satan is nothing but a fake and a liar. He's, he's a copycat. The point of all of this is that the first world Gentile power in the times of the Gentiles, and the last world Gentile power are going to demand worship of you or you will be put to death. 
this doesn't appear to be just local. The whole world is involved. And so this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is what they had to deal with. This was their crisis. This was, they had a choice to make. What were they going to do? What were they going to do? If they, I, I mean, it appeared to them that they had the choice of, you know, going along with everybody else and worshiping the, this great image, or to say, no, we won't do that, and then that would mean that they would die. And so they had a choice. I want to read verses 8 and verse 12. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So the Chaldeans, now I want you to notice that the Chaldeans, these are the same people that they helped save in chapter 2. They were being put to death because they couldn't tell the king what his dream was and what it meant. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed with Daniel that the answer would be made known to them and this is how they're repaid. Jesus talks about what happened in Daniel's 70th week in Matthew chapter 24. He said there will be wars and rumors of wars. Many false prophets will rise, deceiving many. Lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And so part of what is happening here is betrayal. Certainly, it happened when the first Babylon was here, and it will happen again when the second Babylon comes. There will be betrayal. Betraying one another. We see it right now. Why is it the left? Why, why is the left so passionate about control for the sake of living in harmony? And why is the right so passionate about freedom and less government so that we can live in harmony? And, and so and there's a turning on one another, and they're turning each other in. I came across a government website recently that encourages people to inform on fellow employees. It's disgusting. Inform on government. It, I, I won't tell you which website because you'll probably go look it up and then you'll be mad. There has been more betrayal in the last couple of years over COVID mandates than I can count. And it's only just beginning. It's only going to get worse. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were victims of jealousy. Again, their co-workers, they turned them in. They, they were jealous. But the king gives a chance, right? The king gives them a chance to redeem themselves. It's like, bring those three guys here. And they stand before the king, and the king goes, is this true? Is this true? And, and so I love, I love this. Starting in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We have no need to answer. But if 
that is the case. Our God, that, that he's threatening to throw them into the fire if they don't bow down, right? And he said, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And, and, and th- I love this. I love this faith. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. In Canada, as well as in the United States, there are cases before the courts stemming back from churches and individuals who didn't obey the government's mandates about limiting church attendance and wearing masks as they worship. Just west of the city of Edmonton is Grace Life Church. It was forcefully closed and fenced off in 2020 because they wouldn't follow the rules imposed by the government of Alberta. Pastor James Cote spent 35 days in jail for not following the rules. Many in the Christian community felt that this church was giving Jesus and believers a bad name. There are people that thought that. Others would call this civil disobedience a way to protest what you believe to be an error in governing policy. Right? A protest. And for those involved and for others who secretly support them, and some of them openly, it's neither giving Jesus a bad name or civil disobedience. It's an act of obedience. Obey God first. And if the government and God disagree, obey God first. That's what they were doing. It's an act of obedience. Believers should always obey human authority because the Bible clearly teaches that, it, it, that, and it clearly teaches that God has ordained all human authority, but, and you should obey human authority, except when obedience to human authority that demands um, would result in, in, in disobedience to God's authority. And in this way, human authority is not absolute. Because, and that's what the church west of Edmonton were doing. They believed that God's authority was more important than government authority. And so they met in church, close quarters, with no masks. They said it's more important to obey what God says than what the government says. Now, I'm not telling you which way that you should believe. Um, I have my own uh, opinion. I actually admire that pastor for what he did and for standing his ground. For the three Hebrews, this was the case. They were putting God first just as they did when they insisted on not eating the king's food or drinking the king's wine. I love their faith. God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. We ain't going to do it. We won't. We just won't. Well, what's the result? I'm going to read from verse 19 to the end. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and trousers, their turbans and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got too close to the heat. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the Satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not even singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, I love the result of their faith. First, God rewarded them with his personal presence. His personal presence. The angel of the Lord, I believe to be the pre-incarnate son of God. Jesus was with them. And then his personal protection. Not a hair was burnt or singed. Their clothes didn't smell like fire or smoke or nothing. His personal provision is next. Through the king, they were rewarded with a promotion. And the king made a proclamation that the children of Israel were not to be hassled with regard to their choice of religion. How many resources did the king waste in his foolish attempt to feed his pride? His hand-picked mighty men of valor were all killed from the heat of the furnace. He was once again forced to admit that God was God and that God could at any time, in the king's words, frustrate the king's words. At this point, I want to make the spiritual application. And it's huge. It's large. It's relevant for our day, the day in which we live. You will be asked to compromise your faith in the area of worship. You will. You will be asked. And this is continual. How will you respond? 
How will you respond? Nebuchadnezzar represents those in the world who are affluent uh, or influenced and controlled uh, by the power of Satan. Pride was the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. This was definitely Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He had a pride issue. Now, it is Satan's desire that you worship him. He can't get you to do that. Because, but, um, but that was his goal from the very beginning. He wants you to fall down and worship him. He wanted Jesus to fall down and worship. Remember when Jesus was tempted? Oh, Jesus, if you just fall down and worship me, you can have all of this. Right? It's one of Satan's tricks. And it is a trick. If he can't get you to worship him, uh, him, then it's his plan to get you to redirect your attention, your affections, your worship on anything else. He wants your attention. He wants you to worship something else, just not the Lord. He doesn't want you to worship the Lord. Let it be sports. Let it be shopping. Let it be your affections, your relationships, your popularity, affluence, family, drugs, alcohol, status, sex. The list is endless. What takes your time? What fills your mind? What are the desires of your heart? Answering these questions honestly will reveal what you have bowed down to. That will reveal what you have bowed down to. And, and um, if God isn't at the top of your list, then, I'm, my friends, we have work to do. If Satan can't get to worship something else, he will try his very best to discourage you from worshiping God. Here's the thing. If you are determined to put God first, you will be tried by fire. You will. If you want to put God first, Satan will come after you. I like what uh, Greg Hinnant said. He said, by passing, that is earlier, less severe trials, they, that is the three Hebrews, unwittingly qualified for trial by fire, the highest form of human testing. Why? Apparently God saw they had spiritual gold, silver, and precious stones figures of genuine faith, balanced truth, and unswerving loyalty, the making of God's choicest servants, they had all of that in their souls. God only tries by fire what is purified by fire. He doesn't waste his time trying substances that can't stand the flame, such as wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble, these are figures of wrong beliefs, doctrines and lifestyles and so only vessels of honor qualify for trial by fire also be aware that those who are controlled and influenced by satan will handpick their mightiest men men of valor to bind us up as the furnace is heated up again we need to remember that it's satan that's behind all of these we are bound when we let anger or bitterness or unhealthy reactions towards others or when we try taking matters into our own hands, then that binds us, right? When you're thrown into the fire, those things all need to be burned away. So what does worship look like? From the beginning of this message, we saw 
demonstrated through Scripture that worship involves unrestrained and unashamed devotion. It involves a repentant heart, knowing our sinfulness, receiving His forgiveness, and accepting His grace with joy. It involves obedience to God's Word and sacrificial giving, and it will not be bound or imprisoned by our circumstances. Church, we are in the last days. And in the last days, the ultimate battle will be for your worship. It will be the greatest test. How do you think you're doing? Don't be satisfied in the mud. Allow the Word of God to do its work. Here's a good test. Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Can you say that you're doing that in your worship? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. And uh, we, yeah, we are in a battle. We, the, the, the time of the end is approaching quickly. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's pestilence. There's disease. And there's, there's people turning each other in. And there's, there's, the, the world is going mad. And Father, I pray that you would help us to stand strong and stand true. We want to worship only you because you are the only one that's worthy. So help us to do that in the world that has rejected Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.